I haven't done this before, have I? <laughs> you can be seated. <laughs> when in doubt, read the instructions, huh? Anyway. Well, good morning. It's a, a delight to be with you this morning. Um, this morning, I represent two prison ministries. Uh, prison Fellowship, which was Car Charles Colson's ministry, and Gracious Promise Foundation, which is really a spin-off of that. Gracious Promise uh, Foundation is a ministry that Hillcrest has generously supported for several years, and I, I want to thank you for that. And uh, about speaking to you today, I've received several requests, but I'm going to speak anyway. <laughs> and it's been said that if you can't say it in less than two hours, it's not worth saying. So hold on to your seatbelts here. Uh, the topic of the morning will be the experience of shalom in the prison context, specifically reconciliation with God through the cross and resulting forgiveness from that. Almost every prisoner that I meet believes in God. That's there are really very few atheists in the prison system. As a result, a question that I often ask with these men is, if, if you, there is a God who created us, why did he put us here on this earth? I get almost a unanimous response to that question. And that is, I don't know, I don't have a clue, um, I really would like to know. In other words, these men wander aimlessly uh, through life without a clear purpose and direction. So I tell them, what if there is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there is an interloving relationship um, in the Godhead that is full of joy and peace, and that God wants creates us to share and participate in that joy, that love, that relationship as a family member. If that were the case, I asked these men, would you be interested? And almost always the answer is yes. I said, would you like to know how you can come into that relationship? Again, almost always the answer is yes, I, I would like that. Now, there's a problem, of course, and I think, personally, it's the biggest problem that's ever had to be worked out in, in all of history. And that is, how could a holy, perfect God have fellowship with sinful, imperfect man without compromising or corrupting his own character? It's like mixing oil and water. One pollutes the other. Well. The good news is that God solved this problem in the most amazing, incredible way. An example I use with prisoners that seems to strike home, I say, imagine yourself in a traffic court. Let's say that I have uh, been caught speeding. That's never happened, by the way, but just <laughs> hypothetically speaking, we're here. Uh, that the judge looks down and he says, okay, Dewey, that will, you've broken the law, that will be uh, 
$300 or five days in jail. But let's say that I don't have $300, which would be true, and that, uh, so I'm kind of my head drops, but let's say the judge, I look up and see the judge of all people is my dad. I say, hey dad, this is Rick, you don't mean that. Uh, he said, no, the law has been broken. Justice demands that a penalty be paid. That'll be $300 or five days in jail. Let's say the judge, again, who is my father, does an unusual thing. He steps out from behind the bench, puts his arm around my shoulder, takes me over to the bailiff, puts down $300 and says, Rick, I'll see you home at dinner tonight. Well, I can respond in one of two ways. One, I can say, thank you. Gosh, I really appreciate that. I didn't expect that. Or two, I can say, no, keep your money, Dad. I'll deal with this problem myself. I tell these prisoners, I said, that is the situation we're in. We've broken God's law. Justice demands that a penalty be paid, just like my father could not wink and say, that's okay, Rick, boys will be boys, you know. Let's... No, a penalty has to be paid. The amazing thing is that God the judge steps out from behind the bench in the person of the Lord Jesus, pays the penalty for us on the cross. What we deserved is separation from him forever. And yet, what he does, of course, he satisfies the demands of justice at the cross. The most incredible intersection between love and justice takes place at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not just an emblem of God's great love for us, but it, there is a business and legal transaction that took place there where God's justice is satisfied and necessarily so which enables him then, and only then, to release his forgiveness to us. Now, the uh, prisoners have a real problem when it, in the sense of understanding that God forgives them. Remember this Philippians 3 verse, Forgetting what lies behind, press forward. They have a hard time forgetting what lies behind. They have a lot of baggage that they have. They have damaged most of the relationships in their lives that are meaningful to them. They've hurt people. They've lied. They have deceived others as well as themselves. And they've done some things that they greatly regret and many feel they're beyond God's forgiveness. And yet, the fact is that God takes care of that problem, of course, on the cross. Now, they feel unworthy of God's love. Charles Colson tells a story about when he was in Houston for a graduation ceremony at a prison there where they had a special wing set aside for a discipling program, voluntary. There were many men that signed up, and it was the first graduating class, and he was there. Here's what he writes took place. One of the men who walked toward me to receive his diploma 
was Ron Flowers. As he did so, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a tall, handsome woman whom I knew to be Mrs. Washington get up out of her seat, walk over to Ron, and embrace him proudly. There was a gasp in the room among the inmates, the visitors, and the prison fellowship staff and volunteers because, you see, Mrs. Washington was the mother of the woman Ron Flowers had murdered 14 years earlier. Throughout the 14 years that he'd served in prison for killing Mrs. Washington's daughter, Ron has maintained his innocence, saying he was not the one who pulled the trigger. This past summer, Ron took place, took part in our Sycamore Tree Program, a 12-week program dealing with victim-offender reconciliation. Ron struggled through the program. The last week, though, he broke down, finally confessed he'd been the killer. Then he prayed for his victim's family to forgive him. Meanwhile, Mrs. Washington had received a letter from the parole board saying that Ron was up for parole and serving the last year or so at, uh, in, in prison. Every year of Ron's sentence, for 14 long years, Mrs. Washington had written to the parole board urging them to deny Ron's parole. But God had been working in her life and impressing upon her the need to be finally forgiving Ron, even though he'd taken her only daughter's life and both her husband and her only other child had plunged into deep depression over the tragedy and died soon after. So she asked to meet Ron. And with the help of her pastor, their meeting was arranged at the prison. No one knew what to expect, but both Ron and Mrs. Washington poured their hearts out. Ron began a rehearsed speech, but quickly broke down in a flood of emotions. What could he do, he asked. How could he make up for what he'd done? Mrs. Washington could tell that Ron was now a new man in Christ. What you can do for me, she told him, is get out of here and live a productive life. And it would bring me great joy if you would consider me your second mother. So when Mrs. Washington hugged Ron after his graduation, you can imagine the emotion that filled the room. Tears welled up in everybody's eyes as Mrs. Washington stood next to Ron and said, this is my adopted son. Could you and I do that? Only by the grace of God, right? Only by the grace of God. But this captures some of the real issues that men in prison face and deal with. Once they understand God's forgiveness of them, then the issue is forgiving others. And that's equally hard. We all have that problem, particularly those who deeply offended us or hurt us. And we will say, and I've heard this said many times, I may forgive, but I cannot forget meaning I'm going to extend to you partial forgiveness, not God's forgiveness, which is to forgive and to forget. But one of my prisoner friends says, when we don't forgive somebody, we're letting them rent space in our mind, <laughs> meaning they have a certain control over us as long as we don't forgive that person. We think about them, we let them control our attitude and our actions. And then a lot of these guys will also think, well, you know, the, the people that they're most upset about, by the way, are judges, business partners, ex-wives primarily, people that they feel have treated them, you know, unfairly. 
they, like we, wait for these people that have hurt us to come around and ask for our forgiveness, to recognize how deeply they've hurt us. And for man, that's a long wait because they don't come around. They don't get it. They don't understand what they've done to us and how they've hurt us. It's, at that time, it's important for us to remember Jesus' words from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Meaning, Father, the Romans, they don't have a clue what they've done here today. And it's the same with us. In other words, not waiting around for that to happen. One of the more interesting guys that Mary Kay and I met up at the prison in Leavenworth, we go in every Tuesday night and do a Bible study at Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary. This is our 22nd year when we've done that. We've met some interesting people over the years. One of the more interesting is a guy named Jim Hirschberger. Now, Jim, if you're a, a KU fan, around the football field at KU is the Hirschberger track. Uh, speaking of KU football, uh, Bear Bryant's widow asked to be buried at the 50-yard line at KU Memorial Stadium because she wanted to be as far removed from football as she could possibly be. <laughs> <laughs> She's getting her wish, isn't she? <laughs> anyway, back to my friend Jim. Jim was an uh, oil and gas philanthropist uh, from Wichita. Uh, running for governor. Uh, he was a uh, fascinating man, and then he ended up spending six years in prison for tax, financial-related issues, for which Jim never felt that he was guilty. Well, we struck up a good friendship, and Jim was involved in our Bible study, and he was a very strong practicing Catholic, but I think came to a deeper relationship with the Lord in our time there. Well. After getting out of prison, Jim and his wife, Sally, they moved to Lawrence for a couple years, then to Bonita Springs, Florida. And we visited him a couple times and uh, just had some great visits there. But one time we'd been out to dinner and Jim had been talking about a time in college. Uh, he ran on the, uh, the track team and was very good, by the way. And he was coming down the home stretch of this race and uh, he was leading. But as they got near the tape, he looked back over his right shoulder and was passed and nipped at the tape and lost, and lost it. And he was talking about, oh boy, that was, that was for a bad memory. After dinner, we were driving back to their place. Mary Kay in the back seat says, you know, Jim, you're talking about that race. You know, the, what Jim was wanting to do at this point, he was wanting to go back into court and be, you know, and get uh, absolution from these so-called crimes that he'd committed. He wanted to clear, you know, the record, clear his name. And this was kind of a bit of an obsession with him. Mary Kay said, you know, Jim, you're doing kind of what you did in that race years ago. You're looking back over your shoulder and not grabbing the victory that is right before you. You're living in the past you're, you're burying yourself in the problem rather than moving ahead. The next morning, we were standing at their place. Jim got up and he said, boy, did she ever hit it right on the head. 
she said, I'm dropping the case. I'm not going forward with this at all. And he didn't. It was that ability to forgive and to forget and to move on. Now, this is part of this reconciliation with God. He wants us to be reconciled to himself. Then finally, shalom, which is this well-being with God, this position of being reconciled with, with our Father. Shalom and forgiveness are only experienced by submission to the Lordship of Christ. Intellectual assent and emotional experience are not enough. We get a lot of guys in jail or in prison that go to a revival meeting or they have professed some type of commitment in the past and yet their life has not changed much at all. And what we have discovered is what they do in many cases, they receive Jesus as savior, someone who died for their sins on the cross, but they've never submitted to his lordship. They've not given him control of the center, the decision part of their lives. And as a result, their lives have not changed. In fact, uh, I teach these guys, both there and out at the Johnson County Jail where we go on Mondays, I, I teach all in surrender to Jesus as the key to experience God's love, joy, and shalom in their lives. This is best captured in the final words of mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis's wonderful little book. And here's what he says, and I'll conclude with this. The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life, you'll save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing, nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. If any of you are interested in prison ministry, we're forming a, a committee here that deals basically with the Johnson County uh, prison experience, please contact me or Mike Anderson. We'd be happy to uh, let you know about that. Somebody that's going to bring us some experiences from uh, Leavenworth and from a program of involvement there. Several other people in our church are Steve Graff, and Steve's got some stories of uh, how God has worked and brought some, uh, some of these prisoners uh, to know him and to grow deeper in him. Steve? Good morning. When I... Uh, you know, I'm nervous here, but when I go to the chapel at the Leavenworth Prison and speak to 60 inmates, it just flows, just like the Lord wants it to be. So it's really crazy. When I speak this morning, I'm also speaking
for Karen a bit because Karen experiences the same thing I do, going to um, uh, be Alpha co-leaders at uh, Leavenworth Prison, federal prison. Um, there's a chapel buried inside six steel gates as we go into the prison. And we go in there and we find the peace of the Lord. And I know Daniel knows what we're talking about because he came out and worshiped one time and the guys can't wait for him to come back. And uh, it's just amazing. So um, we go in there and uh, it's, it's funny. I was thinking as Rick's talking and Rick's been a blessing to Karen and I, we were in his class for a year and we've never coordinated on any of this. And yet everything he's talking about here is the same thing we do in Alpha. We preach Christ, and God opens the blind eyes. And we all talk about the message and ministry of reconciliation, first with God through Jesus Christ, and then you know, with their families and their friends, their cellmates. And so, um, so I brought, this is the, uh, when I was preparing for this, I really didn't know what to prepare for other than get some testimonies together. These are the prayer requests from the last Alpha session from the men. And uh, one of the ways that I see how the men are growing in Christ and, and changing in their walk is to see how their prayers change. And the other thing is, is on the back of these cards we have praise God for. So on the front we, we have please pray for and on the back we have praise God for. And so you see on the back how they change and what they praise God for. And that's kind of an indication to us of what's, you know, how God's working in their lives. But the most excitement that Karen and I get or the great joy that we get is we'll have an alpha session and we do that with Mel and uh, Becky Balkerman, if you didn't know that. Um, that's how we got involved, is we'll, we'll do an alpha session, then we have a break, and then we come back, and we'll see some of the same guys. And we've met over 300 men through this, and uh, sometimes, I know Mel jokes about this, that we have more friends in prison than we do outside. And, uh, and that's really true in some cases. Some of these guys are really strong Christians, and they bring other guys in. But the excitement for us is we'll see a guy for instance, the first alpha that we had, um, I remember the first alpha we had where on the very first night we had a couple guys say, uh, God is Jehovah and Jesus was his prophet. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. You know, this is going to be a good one. And then we see him next time and how I talk about how Christ has changed his life. And uh, it's just an amazing thing. So now when we hear that on one of the first or second nights, we think, oh boy, God's up to something. This is going to be great. But I just wanted to read some of these um, testimonies from these guys that uh, they gave. One of the alphas we started with a couple sessions ago, we just, instead of doing the intro, we did, we asked guys to just come forward and give their testimony. And David here was raised Jewish and he suffered from many addictions and felt that he had many demons he had to deal with through the addictions. But Jesus saved him and now he has peace and love for the Lord. We remember David because he was so excited about reading the New Testament. He was like, hey, I didn't know this stuff existed. And he was just so excited for the New Testament. And Jonathan, Jonathan learned how to read. He, he was illiterate when he went to prison. He learned how to read in a Bible study class. And praise God for that. And um, in one of the songs uh, that 
was sung earlier, it's talked about the kindness of the Lord led me to repentance. We hear that all the time. Uh, guys who, like for instance, Mario, one of, a, one of the men that we met in our first Alpha, uh, Hispanic, um, he talked about, in fact, our first Alpha session, there was five Hispanic guys, they didn't speak English at all, but Mario could. And so they joined our group and he interpreted as we spoke. And this went on for a couple weeks until finally one of the men uh, from the yard came in and, and led a Hispanic group. But Mario talked about how he knew God was working in his life. He was a gangbanger in southern L.A. And how, um, you know, he got hit in the back of the head by a hammer, but God healed him without even going to the hospital or a doctor. And how he was shot at point-blank rage four times and nothing hit him. And then he ended up in prison. And in these guys really suffer a lot out at Leavenworth in all the prisons because if you're a, you either have to join the gang or you really have to be, you know, stand firm in your faith. And uh, he, he told them that he was going to become a Christian and the gang was going to beat him up. And he dropped to his knees in, in front of them and said, Lord, show them that I am true to, be, to follow you. And they left him alone and respected him after that and he was able to preach Christ to them. But Mario, he's out now and he's back in Southern California and he's learned the uh, peace of God through Jesus Christ and he's now sharing that with his family and his daughter. And this is a, a letter that he wrote thanking all those that worked with him in the prison. He says, I love and really appreciate these people. I am thankful to my Lord Jesus for placing them in my life to help me, teach me and instruct in the way of life. Thinking back honestly, I was a crooked mess, but God used the Life Connections program to help me see for who I really am, simply me. I don't need a tough mask, I don't need a religious mask, I definitely don't need a clown mask. I don't need a mask at all. My thinking has changed, my way of life has changed. I have changed not by, own, by my own means or my own strength, but by Jesus, and he has done in my life, number one, through his word and Holy Spirit, and by people who are willing to do everything and anything to help a helpless, wretched, ignorant, dying soul. So I just want to point out, though, one thing. So praise God for Mario and what he's, praise God for what he did in Mario's life and the lives that we see change. But I wanted to remind everybody that you don't have to go to a government facility to find prisoners. You know, because one of my favorite lines from this song is that uh, before the feds came, we were already prisoners. You know, this is what some of the things Sandy talked about. There's prisoners in here, and Jesus Christ can set you free. So seek that. Thank you. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, how amazing it is that you desire us, you love us, you choose us, you want us, knowing everything about us. And uh, Father, that you sent uh, the Lord Jesus to be the bridge between you and us and Father, the privilege we have of relationship with you. And Father, uh, how you also reach out and draw many of these men and women in prison situations to yourself and change their lives and make them new people in Christ. 
praise you, Father, that you continue that work in each of us to become more and more like Jesus, in whose great name we pray. Amen.